I'm going to ask you to do something slightly different. I'm going to ask you, invite you to stand. And um, one of the things we want to do uh, starting this morning and sort of moving forward is prior to preaching the sermon, in, in line with what Paul says to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, right? We want to take opportunity each Sunday before I preach to, to give honor to the Word of God from where I will uh, proclaim the message. So I want you to hear God's Word. I believe this. I believe hearing God's Word is even more important than what I have to say about God's Word, right? I mean, the Scripture is what we need. And so uh, we've been studying through Acts. So this is going to come, our next section, Acts 4, 23 through 31. I'll remind you the context is Peter and John have just been released from prison, uh, placed in prison for proclaiming the gospel. They've been warned, all right, you can leave prison, just don't go proclaiming Jesus anymore. All right, that's where we are. Leave prison, it's no more of that Jesus talk, which is a problem if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Are we just going to not talk about these things anymore? So what do they do when they were released? Here's what the Bible says, Acts 4, 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had told them. When they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who through our father David, your servant, by his mouth and by the Holy Spirit said, Why did the Gentiles rage at the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak boldly your word while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed together in that place, the earth was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have a message that is to be proclaimed. And I pray right now that all that we say and think from this point forward is in alignment with Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I can't help but be struck by this scene when uh, Peter and John are arrested and thrown in prison and stand before the high priest. It's, it's very unlike when Jesus had been in prison and he was arrested and he stood before the high priest. Remember this? When Jesus stood before the high priest on the night before he was crucified, here come Peter standing not far away but outside by that charcoal fire. And what does he say? Not once, and not twice, but three different occasions. I don't even know who he is. I don't even know who he is. I've not one of his disciples. And now Peter, of all things, has been thrown in prison for proclaiming the gospel. The Sadducees have him arrested, and he stands before the high priest. But you want some good news? Jesus doesn't stand outside and say, I don't even know him. You know what Jesus says? He's mine. I'm filling with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Friends, even if you deny or are not faithful to Jesus, the good news is that he is faithful to the end. So they've got a stressful day. Could we agree on this? It's been a pretty stressful day. 
been thrown in prison and we get out. And look at what verse 23 says. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. So at the end of their stressful morning, what's their first impulse? Their first impulse is to go to their friends. Now, can we just apply this in a real practical matter in your life? Just ask this. On your stressful day, when you've got issues and you want to talk to somebody, who do you go to? you got somebody you go to, I imagine, right? you got some friends that you go to. And here's the good news. When they heard the chief priests and the elders had said to them, when they heard it, this is really important, what you choose to do next. What do they choose to do next? Sit around and complain about those old, wretched, nasty Sadducees? What are they going to do next? Hash it out for a little while? Sit around and talk? Mutually stew over it? Are they going to mope? Are they going to complain? Are they going to open up Google and type in what do you do when you're persecuted to find a helpful article on the matter? What are we going to do? What do they do? Friends, their first impulse is to lift their voices together to God. Do you got friends like this? Are you a friend like this, right? That's a good question. When somebody comes to you with their issues of life and they, and they, and they bring them to you, what's your first impulse? So I wrote it down in my notes in this way. If the first friend you turn to does not turn to God as his or her first response, we might need to find a different first friend, right? If the first thing you do when you come together, what are we going to do? I love this about the early church. They don't throw up their hands. They don't despair. They don't say, well, I guess maybe we'll wait till things die down a little bit. They decide to pray. Do you think the American church today is defined by prayerfulness? Spirit-led prayerfulness. Spirit-led prayer leads to bold proclamation of the gospel. So wherever you find that people of God do not humble themselves and cry out to him, you will find no bold proclamation of the gospel. I really believe this. What what are they going to do? Do they decide that they'll... Uh, you know, host a remove the Sadducees from office campaign, or what what are they going to do? Would it be prudent just to lay down for a little while and let things calm down and this whole persecution thing will fade away? Do they elect to just keep the gospel to themselves and say, well, we tried that and it didn't work out very well? Do we understand that this is a pivotal moment in the early church? When they face persecution for the first time, what are they going to do? What had the Sadducees ordered them to do? Remember? Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 20, or verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Don't you love that? That's, That's the very definition of a witness, friend, right? Be full of the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses. Now, verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. So, the the issue is this. Are we going to keep talking about Jesus in the public square? Right? They've warned us, they've already arrested us, and then they threatened us to stop talking about Jesus. 
So again, their first response, that's where we were. They were released. They went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. That's the Greek word, despotes, right? Despotes, sovereign Lord. I love what they say. I don't know if you caught it or not, but their prayer goes like this. God, you made everything. God, you spoke your word. And God, you've decided. Here's the interesting thing. They never pray about whether or not they should continue to speak the gospel. Did you notice that? They don't even pray that the persecution would stop. They pray that God would continue to give them grace to speak the gospel boldly. Now, here's my question. Why didn't they pray, God, should we continue to speak your word? Why didn't they pray that? Does anybody know? Because they'd gotten a clear command from Jesus to proclaim the gospel. Here's good news to save you a little bit of time. You don't have to pray if God wants you to do something if he's told you in his word to do it. Amen? You don't need a voice from heaven if you've already got a verse in the word. You know what I mean? We don't need a voice to come and say, okay, go on. No, you'll be my witnesses. And I think, you know what I think still ringing in their ears? These Peter and John, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You know one of the things I commanded you? Go make disciples. So, so it's never an issue for them. That's been settled in their hearts. They're going to proclaim the gospel. I pray in your own life, in your family, and in our church, it's a settled matter. We're not asking if we should continue to proclaim the gospel. What they actually ask for is that they continue to speak your word with all boldness. So I've got two quick points if you've got an outline and want to follow along. After their first response is to go to God. This reminds me a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it's so incredibly important in your life, not that you just have friends who are Christians, but you have Christian friendships. Amen? you got to have people that you go to that the first response is, okay, well, we're going to get on our knees together and we're going to pray about this together. So, number one, we'll see, if you're tracking along on your outline, that they pray with great confidence in God. Now, let's, let's follow along in their prayer and you'll see... Before they began to ask God for anything, they took time to humble themselves before God. And, and they got a clear, they, they reminded themselves clearly about who God is. Remember, they've just been threatened. Where do you take, take it when you've been threatened? They've, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, what had just happened to them? The Sadducees had done a power play, right? Sadducees had arrested them, put them in prison. What are the Sadducees trying to demonstrate? The Sadducees are trying to de- demonstrate what? We've got the power, right? We've got the control. You need to be intimidated by us. And what's their response? Sovereign Lord. It's true then, true today. We tracking along together? Who's in control? Who's in charge? Friends, there isn't an open seat on the Supreme Court. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he, he's got no term limit. He's a lifetime appointment. You know who's seated on the throne? The Lord Jesus Christ. And then when they pray, it's not very long before as they pray, guess what they pray from? The Holy Word of God. Prayer and the Word. The Word and prayer. If you spend much time in the Word and it doesn't drive you to prayer, or if you spend a lot of time praying and it doesn't drive you to the Word, then there's a disconnect somewhere. These two things go together. 
Now, apparently, uh, this early church spent a whole lot of time in the book of Psalms because this is already the second time. The first time was Peter back in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 20. And now we're here in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, am said by the Holy Spirit. He's quoting Psalm 2 now. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? See how inseparable the word is. Now, uh, uh, pray with great confidence in God. And then let's note three things that they, they had down in their own hearts and minds. First of all, that God is the creator of all things. Sovereign Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You know this, right? We have a creator. He didn't just show up here. Anybody in the room just speak yourself into being? Anybody just call yourself out of non-existence into existence? Anybody just decided one day, hey, I'm going to show up on planet Earth? That didn't happen, did it? None of us are sovereign. They say, you're despotess, you're sovereign Lord. You've got to check yourself in your life if you're trying to attempt to be the sovereign Lord in your own life, the decider, Right? We think we're in charge. I don't know how it works in your life, but we think we're in charge, and we can't even right, match the right number of socks in the laundry. You know what I'm saying? Is this just me? I did laundry yesterday. Here's a load. Three individual socks left over. And you think you're going to be in control? Think you're going to be in charge? Think you know the end from the beginning? That you're the alpha, the omega? We talk in terms like that. My life, my rights, my body. But we created none of these things and we willed none of these things into existence. The truth of the matter is, none of us, even this moment, are controlling our, what we call, vital organs, are we? You're not controlling your heartbeat, are you? Anybody sitting there thinking, all right, beep, beep, beep. Your, your, your digestive system, your nervous system, they're all functioning, operating completely apart from our active will. And that's just one of about a million examples that we could give of what we're not in control of and yet dependent upon. We don't know how limited we really are. We think too highly of ourselves. The atheist who draws in breath to proclaim there is no God is completely dependent upon that very God he proclaims does not exist in order to keep his or her little heart beating. So he or she can shout that there is no God. And the Sadducees were convinced that they could rattle Peter and John. We'll teach them. We'll just throw them in prison. And I don't know. Maybe one of them recognized Peter. Hey, we rattled him before. It won't take much to rattle him again problem is he's seen the death burial resurrection of jesus and been full of the holy spirit he's not the same man it ever happened in your life you can point very clearly i'm not the person i used to be used to be probably could have been rattled but now i recognize that god is the creator of all things and only is the creator of all things he's the controller of all things peter and john were no deists the early church did not believe that god created everything and then just kind of step back and let's let creation run its course Peter and John did not believe that God stands aloof up there. They were convinced, in fact, that he had drawn as near as possible. And I will just invite you for a moment to think about this in your life. Is that how you view God? He's just up there somewhere in the heavens? You know what the Bible teaches us? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't just draw near. He came near and he went to the cross. He came near the sovereign despot. The sovereign Lord became a servant became obedient to death even death on a cross and the very moment that the pharisees and the sadducees and the romans and as they'll talk about a herod and pontius pilate they collaborated and thought we'll pull all of our influence and power 
and we'll have him crucified. Whereas they thought they were exerting authority, Jesus was demonstrating his authority. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I will take it up again. Amen? He's up out of the tomb. You didn't put me in the tomb, he says. I go there willingly to transfer people from the kingdom of darkness to my kingdom. Forgiveness of sins. I believe that the Sadducees really believed they'd intimidate Peter and John. Arrest them, silence them, impress them with their authority, and they were, would quiet down. But look what happens, remember? Over here in verse 13 of chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. You see the correlation? Correlation of business, uh, the, the correlation of bold witness is not education. You see it? It's uneducated. It's not uh, social status. It's not economic prosperity. They're common men. In other words, the Sadducees, it, it completely blew out their worldview that people of influence could come from the background that Peter and John came from. Where did they come from? It's the next verse. They've been with Jesus. We've got a problem if people can't recognize that we've been with Jesus. Now, Peter and John and their friends were not intimidated, and neither were they despairing or discouraged. They knew full well who was in control. Now, here's my question. How did they know that? You know what the answer is? Their Bibles told them so. They quote a portion of Psalm 2. I want you to back up with me to the book of Psalms. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. So if you open right midway through your Bible, you'll likely land in Psalms. Psalm chapter 2. They believed the Bible was God's word and they believed it had application for their own times. So Psalm 2 Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. What are they doing? What are these influential world leaders doing? They've set themselves against the Lord. You want to talk about mission impossible? Here it is. And against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What what is he saying? That the influential national rulers, the kings, the kingdoms, they've come together and say we're done with God, right? That goes back to the Tower of Battle. Let us build a tower unto ourselves under the heavens in our own name. And how does the Lord respond to this? Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Whose decree? The sovereign Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask for me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, here's the appeal, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing. And rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. It's good news for us, isn't it? It's what I pray for our nation. 
Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Peter and John and their friends recognized the Sadducees were not in control because not only is he the creator of all things, he's the conqueror of all things. Psalm 2 teaches us that he's the conqueror of all things. The conqueror of all things. What, what are the Gentiles able to do according to this scripture? Rage. It's rage. Plot. Scheme. And then, look, as they recognize that these things have been true in their own lifetimes. For truly in this city, right, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Now think of those two men for a moment. Pilate, that old snake of a compromiser, right? Oh, Pilate, that man who stood in great authority and yet was, what kind of authority does he have? It's not much power to say, well, in order to maintain my power, I have to do what they want me to do, right? He's the governor of Rome. You know what job number one for the governor of Rome in that area is to do? Make sure there's uh, no riots and you kind of keep the peace. And the problem is when Jesus is brought before him, what's being threatened? And the people are worked up, right? They're threatening a riot. Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, words about his own mouth. I find no, what? Guilt in him. There's no fault in him, no guilt in him. I, 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 what you've accused him of, he's not, I'll, you know what? You know what I'll do? I'll have him scourged. I'll have him scourged. And they take Jesus and they whip him to the point just about of death. And Pilate says, that'll be enough. Old snake of a compromiser, it wasn't enough. Because when you set, when you set that in order to maintain authority and power, you have to appease the people, that's, that's not possible. Because the whims of the popular opinion, they shift, don't they? I can assure you of this, friends. God's not up in heaven saying, well, I wonder what they think I should do. No, no, no. He says, look, here's what they do. Here's what we need to know. Do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Amen? It's the conqueror of all things. The plots and the schemes were underway then. The plots and schemes are underway now. It's nothing new. That psalm was written thousands of years ago. And here's how it concludes. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Have you taken refuge in him? Friend, having God as our refuge means our sins are atoned for. God as our refuge means our eternity with him is assured. Having God as our refuge does not mean you'll never be thrown in prison, you'll never be beaten, or you'll never be killed. Those things may very well happen. Having God as our refuge means even if those things do happen, Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. God is the creator of all things, the controller of all things. He's the conqueror of all things, and therefore we pray with great confidence in God. Now, what's the result of that? Here's what we'll see next, is that we receive courage 
from God. Receive courage from God. First of all, courage to speak God's word. Now, um, by, by the way, I, um, I skipped over something real quick. Just to say parenthetically, these two men that they mentioned, Herod and Pontius Pilate. Wicked men. Ungodly men. Herod, do you remember Herod? Herod actually liked to hear John the Baptist preach. You remember this? If Herod ever got word that John the Baptist was somewhere preaching, Herod traveled to hear him preaching. And the problem was Herod's uh, family didn't like to hear John the Baptist preach. And, and then they have this um, ungodly, unrighteous gathering. And you remember girl dances Herod says I'll give you whatever you want and she says what give me Herod's uh, give me John the Baptist's head and now it sounds a lot like Pontius Pilate these men really got a lot of power because he feared the opinions of the people at the party he cut John the Baptist's head off Jesus said John the Baptist is the greatest man born of woman and they cut his head off Jesus Christ Sinless, spotless lamb. They crucified him. The apostle Paul, the great proclaimer of the gospel, they killed him. Peter, you're going to kill him. So ease and comfort is no distinguishing marker of walking with God. Amen? We can just put that lie to bed from here on out, right? So next we see what are they praying for? Courage to speak God's word. By the way, I'd rather be John the Baptist today than Herod, wouldn't you? To receive courage from God. One of the things that prayer allows us to do is to keep the eternal perspective in mind, right? Prayerless person becomes very um, centered on the here and now and forgets the here's what is to come. So, so, so praying needs to be an active part of your life and the life of our church. One, courage to speak God's word. They did not pray for the persecution to cease. I do not find anything here that they enjoyed it, that they didn't, they look forward to it. Now, they, they say that they're honored to be worthy of of being persecuted, but they didn't enjoy the persecution itself. They're not gluttons for persecution or gluttons for per punishment. They did not pray for safety. They didn't pray for comfort. They pray for, verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats, God, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, I want to emphasize a word here. It's the word servant. You see up here in verse 25, mouth of your father David, your servant. And then down here, uh, when it talks about Jesus, verse 27, against your holy servant Jesus, and then they refer to themselves as servants, but those are two different words in English. I just want you to know that. And when they refer to themselves as servants, it's the, the, the word is often translated here servant or, or bond servant. And it's a corrected, here's another benefit of prayer, it, it corrects the relationship. Someone in this text is called despotess, sovereign Lord, and somebody else is called servant. And if we're not careful, we'll turn those upside down. Now we'd never say it that way, that we're in control and the Lord is our servant. But sometimes we'll pray that way. And sometimes we'll think that way. 
And we think it's upside down and that God exists to do what we tell him to do. Do you know why they didn't ask him if they should continue to speak boldly? I think this is why. Because they understood that they were the bondservants and he was the sovereign Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? That his commands were not up for discussion and his commands were, did not have a uh, qualifier on him. Now go be my witnesses. Oh, unless you're persecuted, then we'll come back and talk about it again. No, be my servant, uh, be my witnesses. We need to recover a little bit of this, at least I know in my own life. I'm his servant. And it's my joy to be so. Amen? Yes, I'm his loved child. Yes, I'm his reconciled son. But I am to be obedient to my Lord. They pray for the kind of boldness that Moses had before Pharaoh, the kind of courage that Daniel had before Nebuchadnezzar, the kind that Mordecai had before Haman, the kind that Paul will demonstrate before Felix, the kind that Jesus had before Pilate. Are you seeing a pattern here yet? Very often the governing authorities are wicked and the people of God are courageous in the face of the persecution that those very governing authorities bestow on them. Now, of course, of course, we pray and speak for and hope for and are in, in line, uh, understanding the issues of the day for God-honoring government. But our ultimate hope and trust is not in good earthly government, but in despotess, in the sovereign Lord. So courage to speak God's word, and then second, the courage to extend, if you will, God's love. Now, we want to continue to speak while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Anything that we can do, excuse me, anything that we can, I'll get it out in a moment. Anything we do that can be explained apart from Jesus is worth nothing. Anything that we can do that can be explained apart from Jesus is, is nothing. It's God's power that healed the lame man, right? But it was Peter's hand. Extending God's love to people. Now, here, here's the way that I put it, and it's a very, um, it's the application I wrote for myself. That the Christian people should love the stuffings out of other people. Do you know what I mean? Are you known as somebody who just loves people? Just loves people. Isn't that what they're praying? This is back to where we kind of started in the book of Acts. As a follower of Jesus, which one should you be involved in? Verbally communicating the gospel or doing acts of love for other people? Which one should you do? And what we're seeing over and over and over and over again, if we were transported back to that early church and I asked that question to the early church, what should you do? Should you be verbally sharing the gospel or should you be doing acts of kindness and compassion for other people? What would they say? I don't even, that doesn't even make any sense, right? That doesn't even make any sense. Which one did Jesus do? It's sort of two heads of the same coin called gospel, right? We do both. As a matter of fact, so far, Peter has said or uh, given two messages in Acts. One when the Holy Spirit came and one when the lame man was healed. And what you see is the acts of God's grace at work through his people give opportunity for an audience to hear the word. Does that make sense? It's the very... Uh, acts that provide the opportunity to proclaim. Now, here's reality. Two things. There's not a single person in the world who does not want or need to be loved. Nobody here in this room says, you know what, I'm good. I don't need anybody to love me. I'm, I'm fine. 
Well, you know, some of us are, well, anyway, we'll just move on. Everybody needs to be loved. Can your family find an orphan to love? A widow to love? Can you help one more person in your life? Now, I know, I know. Most of us are busy. You know what's true? I think most everybody I've talked to this week maxed out. And the thought of adding one more thing to your list, you're just like, (laughs) got enough going on. Now, I was thinking about this in my own life, and, and part of it in my own life is my own fault. Sometimes we say yes to too many things of little importance that it crowds out the things that are really important. So in light of these verses, here's what they're praying. God, stretch out your hand, help people. The metaphor is he's stretching out his hand and we're his body, right? So you stretch out your hand, we want to help people. So part of it for me, and I encourage for you, is to take inventory. Now, I uh, shared with you when I was in college, I was going to school, and then I worked at a restaurant, worked at Cracker Barrel, saving up to uh, Julie and I. Well, we weren't engaged. I was saving up to buy her an engagement ring, right? So I'd go to work, and the least favorite, most dreaded season of work was what? Inventory. Oh, my word. Most everybody just said, when is inventory? That's when I'd like to take vacation. That's how it, that's how it, how it worked. Stay late, list and check. So, 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 but, but I'm asking you now, you're going to have to do this in your life, to take inventory. Where are we spending our time? Where are we spo- spending our attention? And, and are there some things, are there some things that just got to go? Are there some things that got to go? Now, uh, they, they say we, we got to help people here. Now, first, you might have some things that just need to go. But secondly, now there will be things like that. Here's what I find in my life, and I'm encouraged by this from this book. We'll see it over and over. Is sometimes we just need to recalibrate some things so that the things we are doing are leveraged to loving people. Does this make sense? I don't want us to make this fine delineation in our mind that some things are Jesus things and then other stuff's just other stuff that we're doing, right? If you're on the ball team, leverage that for Jesus. If you're going to go to the ball game and you're going to be there three nights out of the week, if you're going to put your chair beside somebody, put your chair beside somebody who needs to know about Jesus. If the daughter's on the dance uh, every Tuesday night and you're going to go there, get to know people so that you can what? Share Jesus. If, if uh, you just go through your life, right? Most of us, if you've got a job, you're going to be there for a little while every day. How can you leverage that for Jesus? So we stop thinking about things of this is church stuff or this is ministry stuff or this is Jesus stuff. In fact, here's the Great Commission. While you're going, make disciples. This is what this, the statement simply means. While you're living your life and going where you're going, make disciples of Jesus. Now I want to be careful with verse 30. I do think there are signs and wonders that were true of that age as the scripture is being written, as the Holy Spirit has first come, is there a, a transition, if you will, to the church age that those select apostles were going to accomplish? We'll see it 
through the scripture, sometimes their shadow will fall on people and they were healed. My shadow's not healing anybody here this morning. But I do think, now that the word of God is complete, this still has a word for us. I'm by no means saying that God can no longer do miracles. I, I am saying that you don't need to go to the nursing home to try to heal people, but you could go to the nursing home to love people and to help people and to listen to people and to pray with people. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's a huge act on your part. Adopting an orphan, for example. Going overseas for a long period of time. And sometimes this is in so-called small ways that aren't really so small. Babysitting the children of a mom who's worn out. Or you cut the widow's grass. Or you care about people. Courage to speak God's word and courage to extend God's love. And I want us to know, I want us to know that the gospel going forth in great power of the Holy Spirit involves both. That Peter's not just saying, Lord, please give us courage to continue to speak your word and just go and preach it, people. But he's saying, give us courage to preach as we're loving people, even loving people who don't really love us back. And then the next one is the courage to exalt God's son. Chapter 30. That the name are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The theologian from many, many hundreds of years ago, John Christensen, said, That place was shaken and left them all the more unshaken, right? They were gathered together. That place they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We've covered a right good bit of ground this morning, so let me conclude with a few specific applications. Uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 32 uh, and 34 through 34 gets a lot of airtime, but I want us to know we're going to study that next week, but that narrative is in light of what we've just talked about. They were challenged to stop preaching and sharing the gospel. They decided, no, we're not going to ask if we should keep pre- preaching the gospel. We pray for more boldness. We, we start with prayer and then look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. Now that's something only God can bring about. And I believe God brings it about in people who are first devoted to spirit-led prayer. So, a couple of concluding applications. Calvary, our church family. May we as a church be humbly but firmly committed to corporate prayer. I'm going back to this observation. I don't know in our day that the American church is devoted to prayer. I just mean in the numbers, numerically. By and large, in our churches, when we say we're going to have a prayer meeting, there's a hundred different things that we could announce that more people would show up to. And I think that is an is a issue. Until we're devoted to prayer, I don't know that God's going to be devoted to us in sending revival and awakening. Because prayer is the heartbeat of the great moves of God. So... We want to be devoted to corporate prayer as a people. And we're about to do that in a moment, by the way. That's going to be our invitation time. We'll work it a little bit different, but get to that moment. No, no, second, second, you need to get a praying friend or friends. 
somebody that, back, back here to verse 23, we just want to apply this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth. And they just get to praying. So uh, if two things are going on at once, you're looking for friends like that, while the church body at large is devoted to being friends like that, that'll, that ought to match up pretty well, right? Ought to be able to find people to, to pray with. Here's the other application. Excuse me. Decide right now that no one will intimidate you from boldly proclaiming the gospel. Say it again. You have to decide it right now. There's some decisions you have to make ahead of time. Again, boldly doesn't mean rudely, right? Boldly doesn't mean necessarily loudly. Boldly means clearly. Someone hears from you your words. Is it a clear message that you believe in Jesus and the cross, the resurrection? He's coming again soon. Be prepared as you stand for Christ increasingly in our day to be called all sorts of things. Unloving, bigoted, hateful, and we could go on and on. And what's our response to that? Here's their response. To go right on praying, right on loving, right on proclaiming. You've got to decide this now. Because the truth of the matter is, when we read these things in our own lives, not many of us have personal experience with these matters, right? I've never preached a message here at Calvary and said amen, and, and after I walked out of the stage uh, or the uh, steps and go out have, uh, you know, police waiting for me. So you, sir, you got to come with me. I'm going to put you in prison. That's never happened. Never even been on my radar screen. However, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not into just drama for the sake of drama, but I do know enough and see enough and read enough and hear enough and see the scripture enough that I don't know that that will always be the case in my lifetime and particularly don't believe that will be the case in the lifetime of my children. If you're going to say things like, there is salvation, this is Acts 4.12, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I think something like this will happen. They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I think we'll find ourselves someday soon. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Now, the point I wanted to make is I believe we'll be more apt to respond the way they do they lifted their voices together to god will be more apt to respond that way on that day if we're already responding and prioritizing prayer on this day does that make sense so we don't have to change up what we're doing oh now we face person no so here's what we're going to do we're going to have a time of invitation um and then what i'm going to invite you to do is is to pray 
Now, I don't want to do too much in leading and guiding on how that ought to look or what that ought to look like. Um, you may want to come here to the front. Maybe you want to come here with your family. You want to pray for your family. Pray that your family will be a bold witness for Jesus. Um, in, in a moment, just we work out, work out the mechanics because I know it's a little bit different than what we do. Cindy, if you'll come and we'll play what we were going to plan to pray, and then we'll just allow the Holy Spirit to lead a time of prayer. I intended to leave us a little bit of time so that we wouldn't feel too awful pressed, but now I'm recognizing, no lie, my watch is broken. Maybe it's possible, it's possible the Lord did that so that we wouldn't be worried about it. So open up a time of of prayer. So I'm going to invite you to stand in light of what we've said this morning. Um, You alone or someone in your family, no, you know, again, please hear me. I'm not trying to I'm desperate to see a move of God among our nation, among our church. So I want to invite you. You can stay where you are. You can be seated right where you are. But some of you may want to come and kneel here at the front. Good, good thing about our church, that front row is always open. And these areas up here, be plenty of room. Be on your knees before the Lord. What are we going to pray? We're going to pray things like, Sovereign Lord, created all things. Give us grace. So I'm going to open our prayer time, and then, and then very quickly, I'm going to stop talking out loud, and then I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead you how you might want to respond. And then for maybe a little bit longer than we normally do, it'll be quiet with no one talking on the microphone, for example. And, and then in just a little bit, just a little bit, I'll come back and close our prayer time. So, Father, I pray right now, we don't want to be a people who just read about the early church, and that's what they did then, and be informed about it, or know some things about it. We want to be a people who seek the face of the living God. They cried out together, and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through your servant David, our Father, by the Holy Spirit said, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth have gathered together and the rulers of the people set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. Father, give us courage to continue to speak your word all boldly.